Um, you can be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're using uh, the Bibles pr- uh, provided for you there in the pew, um, it is page 1205. Uh, if that will help you in any way, you are free to do that. Um, but uh, every week uh, when I preach, I give my sermons a title. And a lot of times the title is for me. And then before, once I finish writing it, I change the title because that was just my first thought. But today, uh, I'm calling this Identity and Preparation for War. Because we're talking about, in 1 Peter, we want to be genuine Christians. And, and our identity is in Christ. And a lot of times, I don't make a big deal about the title. But I want you to think about that today. And in God's providence, just like he did uh, on another occasion recently, we came to this idea on July 4th weekend. So, uh, I think God's kind of cool that way. Uh, but, but we are in a spiritual battle. And I don't know if you really comprehend that or not or realize that or think about that much but Christianity is not something where we say a little prayer and start going to church on Sunday and then go home and then wait till next week and do it again you know like wash rinse repeat you know sometimes that's we get into that and and in actuality we are supposed to be Christian 24 7 7 days a week 365 days a year 366 on leap year you don't get that day off we, we, we are supposed to be a Christian all the time. And to be a Christian is to be involved in a spiritual war. And we talked about that last week where Jesus won that war. But today I want to help you prepare yourself for that war. Uh, and and I want, let me read this passage and then I will go on in that explanation. It's just uh, verses uh, 1 through 6 here. And it says this. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So let us pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, uh, we can't understand one bit of your word without the help of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, we're even going to look at that verse today. But you sent the Holy Spirit to help us understand your word. He was the mover uh, of it being written. And uh, Lord, he is also the interpreter to us as believers. So every page and every word speaks of you, Lord Jesus. And we are grateful for that. And in all of that, we glorify the Father. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you today. And we ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding to behold the wonderful things that you've put in your word. Lord, indeed, may we prepare ourselves to live 100% for you. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask you to bind our enemy and all of his minions. Lord, give us spiritual freedom in this place today. By the name and the authority of Jesus. And we, we thank you and ask for that in his name. As your sons and daughters. Amen. Well. Here in 1 Peter, it, think about who wrote this book, humanly speaking. It's Peter. And we know 
Peter was, you know, like ADD. We get that, right? Y'all just read the Gospels, you get it. He, he, he was blessed with the same condition as some of us. And, and there came a time in his life where Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Satan has desired to have you to sift you like wheat. And then he doesn't say, but I'm going to deliver you. He says, I prayed for you. Now, that's like going to somebody and going, man, I don't have any money for groceries. All my clothes are gone. I need help. And the guy goes, I'll pray for you. You know, no, man, have a give me some food. But you would think Jesus said, I'm going to deliver you. But he said, I'm going to pray for you. But then he does give him hope. He says, so that when you are converted, you may help your brothers also. And so now he's helping us. This guy has fought some spiritual battles. And he, he's going to go to a cross himself and die. He's going to be hung upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Christ was. And he said he wasn't worthy of that. And so he, he, he know, understands a little bit what about, about what it means to fight in a fight, right? I, I was born to, to parents. They were a little bit older when I was born. Um, they, they both lived through the Depression. Uh, my dad was a World War II Navy vet. Um, and, and he was a ship fitter uh, in the South China Sea. Uh, when a ship got torpedoed or shot up or whatever, he was one of the guys who went to that ship and, and repaired it. And uh, retired out of that and lived there uh, working in the Navy base in, in Charleston. Uh, did all of that over 38 years time span. My mom... She uh, quit high school a, a month or two early because she got a job in the commandant's office of the Charleston Naval Shipyard. So I just grew up loving the military. It's no secret that I love the military. I love people. Uh, I appreciate people that served and all of that. And, and today our politicians argue over what is the best way to govern the people. I, I, I'm afraid that I don't have a lot of hope that the majority of them actually are thinking that way. I'm afraid a lot of them are just thinking about themselves. But, but we do have good guys in government. But... But I've noticed that all sides of any political argument, no matter uh, whether it's, it's a political party or a system of government, all that argue for those things seem to always forget one little detail. And it's this, the sin of man. You can come up with a perfect program, but when you let sinful men run it, it's going to go sideways, right? It's not, it's not going to work. And so... The sin of man will always interrupt the best laid plans of mice and men. Always. And so, the real war, though, is a spiritual war. The physical wars are real in reality. I don't believe we're imagining all this. But the ultimate reality of warfare is the spiritual war, that we are all supposed to be a soldier in that army. If, if you think Christianity is about coming to church on Sunday... You've already lost the war. This is a daily battle for us. This is something we have to do every day. And so today I want to help you hopefully to get kind of equipped. And I believe what I said about politics applies in the church. I believe all of us as Christians, again to various degrees, forget the fact that we have sin that has to be dealt with and that we struggle in this life. But we, we follow a commander-in-chief who has actually won the war for us. We don't just follow someone who was elected. We follow the guy who won the war. Right? Now, we don't see that yet fully because there's still stuff to do. Back in the old days, before modern communication, the war could be over for a year and people would still be fighting in remote areas. Right? I mean, I mean... I, in my lifetime, they found a, a, a Japanese soldier on an island. He wouldn't leave his post because 
He was told to stay there until it was over. Nobody ever got around to telling him it was over. I mean, that's, that's true. You can look it up. I can't remember the details. I just thought about that just now. But, but this, this kingdom will be seen when Jesus returns to make it a physical kingdom on this planet. It's already a reality, but, but we won't see it until he makes it an earthly kingdom. And, and we read that in Revelation. But until then, we are in a war. We are in a fight. We're in a battle. And, and I like to give you a take-home statement every week. I, I, I say, here's something to take home with you. And I kind of just say those things. Sorry, I taught Sunday school too, and so I'm really thirsty. Um, but, but today I've got, a, a, I think, a really good one. And, and a friend of mine gave it to me. Um, a, a, a guy who was a veteran of Army for over two decades... And uh, he asked me what I was going to be preaching on. And I said, I've got to think of a good way to bring, for people to take this home. And he gave me this pearl of wisdom. And it's this. This is a come-as-you-are war. Are you ready? As, as you're getting troops ready, they'd say, we don't have this or we don't have that. And they'd say, this is a come-as-you-are war. You see, some of you have never even loaded your gun. And the war is raging. Some of you haven't even taken the gun out of the package, and the war is raging. Some of you are equipping yourself for war, but you feel like you're missing something. You're in the war. It's come as you are. It is happening to you right now. So if you're smart, you'll get ready to fight that war. Amen? You get what I'm saying? I I thought it was a great statement. I didn't know that was a kind of a cool statement, but it really is. This is a come as you are war. Are you ready to fight that war? Well, Peter outlined some things to help us. And I, I want to show us some things to expand on them. First of all, I've read the verses. Notice the very first verse, the very first word, since. Remember, I, I said we follow a commander-in-chief who's, who's won the battle. We just covered that in chapter 3. Just as you're coming in chapter 4. Chapter 3 talks about what Jesus did on the cross. How he defeated all these spiritual uh, beings. How he even went to the ones that he locked up uh, centuries and centuries and thousands of years before. And said, I told you I was going to beat you. It's on the way now. And at the end, in, in Revelation, there's a statement at the end of Revelation, toward the end... When the last trumpet is being blown, this voice says, it is done. And I was teaching on that, and somebody said, is that similar to what Jesus said on the cross when he said, it is finished? I thought it was a good question. I didn't know at the time. I said, I don't know. Let me look it up. So I looked it up. It's two different words. The word on the cross means paid in full. When he said, Jesus is dying, he says, it is finished. He said, it is paid in full. I've paid the price For the church to be born and to take the gospel to the whole world. But when we have done the job we're supposed to do at the end of all things, there's going to call this call from heaven, it is done. It's going to be the end of time as we like to say. But for our younger generation in here that are Marvel fans, the translation of that Greek word could be Avengers Assemble. Because that's what happens, man. When that call comes from heaven is when all the believers of all time come together and are going to ride behind Jesus and an army out of heaven onto earth and taken over. So that's a cool thing that's coming. And so that word sense reminds us of all of that. So the first thing I want you to see is that We've got to identify the right mind that we ought to have here in verses 1 and 2. First of all, 
Christ did something for us. So we need to think like Christ. And notice what he says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Now did you notice that? He said Jesus suffered in the flesh. He's saying arm yourself. What allowed Jesus to go to the cross? Well we can see that in John 13. The first few verses. The Bible tells us that Jesus knew where he came from, knew where he was going, knew what the plan of God was. And he's headed there. He's going to do the difficult because he knows where he's going. He's got that mind. But I want to remind you of some other verses in the Bible that says a similar thing to us about getting our mind right. We ought to have the mind of Christ. The first thing I thought of was Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 that says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Now, as I thought through this, I realized that the mind of Christ is a mind of humility. Now, that seems not right in my own head, even though I realize it. Why not? Because God is God. Somebody was sharing with me, uh, even this morning, that, uh, that uh, is God an egomaniac? God preached a sermon on that. John Piper actually preached a sermon called, Is God an Egomaniac? Well, no, because he's God. An egomaniac, somebody wants to be God. Right? God is God. He's got nothing to prove. And Jesus became, becomes a servant of mankind. What allowed him to do that? Knowing who he was. So here's the question. Who are you? You are a child of God because of Christ. When you come to Christ, you become a child of God. You know where I'm going when I die based on that? Heaven. So what do I got to prove? Nothing. Don't have to prove a thing. I can just relax and live in Christ, right? So if you want to kill me, no problem. I'm going to heaven. You want to leave me alive? Cool. I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's what Paul said, right? To die is great gain. To stay here is an advantage to you. I get to talk to you about Jesus. So live or die, God's going to be glorified. Because I'm going to talk about Jesus or I'm going to go see him. That's how we ought to be living. And so Philippians kind of puts us in that. says, have the mind that was in Christ. That he was willing to empty himself of all self and self-right. He was right to hold on to deity. But he let go and became a man. And died for us on a cross. The Beatitudes which we preach through. Gives us the mind of Christ. And when I, that's where I really hit that, wow, this is an attitude of humility. I don't know if you remember the series. You can look it up on our, on our webpage. But let me quickly remind you of, of the eight of them. Poor in spirit. I've got nothing. I have nothing. I have no means to get anything. I have to depend on God for everything. I'm absolutely bankrupt. Well, was Jesus absolutely bankrupt? Okay, this may shock some of you, but yes. People say, well, of course he could do that. He was God. Yeah, but I just read in Philippians, he put all that aside. The Bible lets us know he did everything he did by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. He had to depend on God like you have to depend on God. Now, the Spirit was given to him without measure. John, uh, I think it's chapter 3, tells us that. He depended on God. It might be chapter 1, verse, got a 3 in it. But Jesus had to depend on God like you have to depend on God. So he came and depended on God that way so you could see it could be done. Right? 
You know, that's why the chicken crossed the road, to prove to the possum it could be done. Right? So Jesus came and did it so we would know it's possible. You can do it. You can walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we don't have anything in ourselves to follow Christ. We don't have anything in ourselves to overcome sin. We've got to realize, first of all, total humility. I'm a nothing nobody. And I mourn that condition is the second beatitude that blessed are those who mourn. Because I realize how horrible I actually am before God. And so that makes me become meek. Which is, what do you have to give me, Lord? What is it you are offering me? I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to learn. And then the next beatitude says, and they hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because I know I don't have any. I've mourned that. I'm willing to receive it. I'm meek. I'm open to learning. And I hunger to look like Jesus. I want to have his righteousness in my life. And when he comes in, we realize that we can be merciful because he was mercy to us. We can realize that we can be pure in heart because his heart was purely devoted to the will of God. And we ought to be totally devoted to the will of God. That I can be a peacemaker because I'm at peace with God. I don't have to be at war with anybody else. And then he said, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness sake because now you're acting like Jesus when you do all that. And they persecuted him for it. They're going to persecute you for it. You see, to have this mind, to be willing to suffer, to go to that war, Peter figured it out and he wrote it down for us. And there's other places in the Bible that tell us that we ought to think like Jesus thinks. Because that will allow you to face any problem, any temptation, any sin in life. And the third thing I'd like to say about setting our mind with the same way of thinking. It says, so we won't live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, uh, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible lets us know that we need to set our mind on obeying God, and we only can do that when we sacrifice ourselves on his altar. Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says, So if you are raised with Christ, set your affection on things above, not on things here. The reason that we have no fear of dying is because we don't belong here anyway and we want to go home. And home is there, it's not here. We don't let the things here become gods to us because this isn't home yet. He's going to remake it, it's going to become home one day. But right now we are aliens in a strange land. We're in a broken creation, broken by sin. And we're going to his perfect heaven and then he's going to bring that perfect heaven down here and fix it all. Right? So Colossians says, so set your affection on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died. Did you hear that? You have died. As a believer, you died in Christ. That's why we do baptism by immersion. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. So we die with him and are buried with him and raised to live an eternal new life with him. So you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. 
put to death, therefore. Wait a minute. Why do I put to death if I already died? He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You, you have not yet been glorified. You're still living in a body broken by sin, even though the inner man has now been made clean and whole before God. He's given you a new life inside, but you still have a, a, a body that responds to sin. And so he says, put those things to death. And he lists them. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. I want to go back to Philippians, and this time chapter 4, verse 4 through 9. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about everything, but by, in anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen to this. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we like to quote that part, but we forget the first part. We like to say, well, you know, he'll guard your heart and mind. Yeah, he will when you quit being anxious and start praying with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this trial. Lord, thank you for this trouble. Lord, thank you for this difficulty. Because I know that in that, you're going to make me look more like Jesus, who suffered worse trials than I ever will. Thank you for it. And these verses go on to say, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you hear that? Now, some of you may have heard me advocating the power of positive thinking. I was not. I'm advocating Philippians chapter 4, okay? Which says, think about things, and, and, and he lists them out. Uh, things uh, true and honorable, just and pure, lovely and commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. I don't think I've ever seen any of that on Facebook. Just saying. So when you spend more time listening to people whine, moan, complain, and sin on Facebook, and less getting into the Word of God to know the mind of Christ, your life's going to be miserable. Again, just saying. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So to get that mind that he tells us to get, we've got to put aside in verse 2 of the, our text, live the rest of your time so as to the rest of the time you have to live in the flesh, don't live for your human passions, but for the will of God. Our goal, our life, our center ought to be the will of God, not what I desire. But our bodies cry out for stuff, right? We don't know how to make our bodies sacrifice for the will of God. And yet that's what God tells us to do. Another place in the Bible talks about athletes that they buffet their body. They deny themselves pleasures so their bodies can be hardened to achieve what they're supposed to achieve and Paul said I buffet my body daily I mean Paul had to be one tough dude he walked a lot he got beat up a lot as far as we can read he never struck back he just would get beat up I mean they stoned him to death and then he jumped up and said well let's go back into the city <laughs> let's see if they can stone me twice I mean Really? You, nobody survives a stoning, by the way. That's impossible. That was a miracle. They killed Paul, and he just got up and said, well, let's do it again. This, that was fun, you know. Why? Because he wasn't living for this world. 
Vance Abner, I read one time in a devotion, he said, Paul lived for two days, this day and that day. He lived in the day he was in, tried to talk about Jesus, but he was with a mind to that day when he was going to be with Jesus. Well, that's the first point. Second point is not going to take so long. But it is the second thing we see is that we have to identify our wrong actions. And I've already kind of been talking about that. But they're listed out for us in verses 3 and 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. In other words, you've sinned enough, now quit that. Stop. Don't do that anymore, right? He said, and then he lists them, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And you say, wow, thank God. I've never been in a drinking party. I've never been in an orgy. I don't worship any idols. Well, man, I hesitate to say this one. But go to Galatians. It adds gluttony in there with all of that too. Well, what is gluttony? It's an indulgence in I like to eat it. I mean, I, I got a sweet tooth. I'm a junk food junkie. You know that, that commercial used to be for Lay's, nobody can eat just one? Well, I changed that, nobody can eat just one bag. <laughs> and I'm not talking about a little snack bag. I'm talking about like the family party bag, you know. Shoo, that's good stuff, man. He says, kill that mess. Don't indulge in the appetites of your flesh. But he goes on to verse 4. And we respect to this. They're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery. Notice what he called it, a flood, flood of debauchery. And they malign you. Oh, we know you. You think you're too good for us. You used to join in with us. Well, not anymore. I'm a new person. Well, you look the same. I know on the outside I do, but inside I'm brand new. And that holds no interest anymore because I serve a king. That says to put all that down so that I can concentrate on him. You see, people decide to live in destructive selfish patterns in their life and it kills them the bible says that sin gives pleasure for a season but at the end it bites like a poisonous snake you see people want you to join them in their destructive things why well number one that's the nature of our enemy that's jesus told us that's how it would work but it makes them feel better when you're supposed to be a christian you do it but i, I tell you this satan whispers in our temptations have you ever noticed that? He whispers in your ear, it's okay. Nobody's going to see you. Just one won't hurt. And then the moment you do it, he starts yelling, judgment, judgment, judgment. The Bible says there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We go and we can, we can have his forgiveness, but he wants us to live a life that is wholly dedicated to him alone and if you're going to fight this war first you got to get his mind secondly you got to avoid the things that distract from your uh, ability and preparedness to fight in that war and the third thing is you got to identify well what's the right way to live if I can't live like I used to live how do I live well thankfully Peter tells us verses five and six with respect to this uh, I'm sorry that was verse four or five but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead See, they don't realize that. They don't think about that. Just like politicians, Christians don't think about sin, the sin of man will mess up any system. The, those who don't know Christ never think about the judgment of God to come. And when you remind them of it, they get really mad at you. In fact, listen to, to these verses that, that are found in John 16, 8 through 11. The words of Jesus. And when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you won't see me any longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. They are following the, the desires of the one who has already been judged. Do you understand that? The ruler of this world has already been judged. When God has judged him and he has no place of repentance. Satan can never be saved. You don't need to feel sorry for him. There's no such thing as an angelic demon or a demonic angel. They, you're either in or you're out. You're on or you're off. You're right or you're wrong. There's no gray matter here. There's no area that allows us to kind of sin and still be right with God. He says, give it up. Don't do that anymore because there's a judgment coming. And the people that are doing that never think about that judgment. But we do. We understand the Bible says that we will give an account to God for how we lived out our Christian life. Not to judge whether we're lost or saved. But we're going to bring our actions to him. And the stuff that is a mess. The wood, the hay, the stubble. All the junk we allowed in our life. He's going to burn it up. And what can withstand the fire of God is what we'll be rewarded over. The gold, the silver, and the precious stones he calls them. In Corinthians. And then when he gives us that reward. We take it off and give it back. Because we realized we weren't capable. It was him in us. Because we were poor in spirit. And we mourned that. And we, we were meek about that. We were teachable. And we hungered and thirsted for his righteousness. And we started living that way. And people spoke against us. And that was fine. And they judged us. And that's okay. Because we know where we're going. And we know that we don't deserve it. But he made us where we could go. He... He saved us when we were unsavable. Do you understand that? You had no hope. And Jesus came in and saved you anyway. Because he loves us. You see, the gospel brings us from death to life. And we no longer have to live in death. All those things are death. We don't have to live that way anymore. We live in life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came to give life and give it abundantly. He came to, to overfill us with his life. Do you realize that a lost man is a man who is already dead and he is dying? He's already dead in his spirit and his body is dying. Now, I said dying dead men, but I didn't think he, that, that kind of didn't sound right when I said it out loud. But, we, but people that are lost are dying dead men. We are living men who will never die. Oh, the body's going to die. Yeah, I get that. I'm not crazy. I mean, this, this body's going to give out. It's given out already. I can feel it. I used to have a car, and there was nothing that was really wrong, but it just felt wrong. And so I sold it, and three months later, a guy said, transmission fell out. I said, yeah, I knew something was bad about that thing. <laughs> but at the time, it was working fine. I just knew, oh, it's missing a beat. Well, guess what? The older I get, the more I feel I'm missing a beat. I used to have an older friend, and when I started aging a little bit, and I'd say, man, this thing hurts. I don't know what's wrong. He goes, I don't have any good news for you. <laughs> but boy, man, when this body gives up, woo! I like, that, I like that song Mark Lowry wrote. I think Mark Lowry wrote it, but anyway, imagine waking up in glory and finding it's home. That's, that's going to be awesome. So we don't have to live like citizens of this world. We live as citizens of a different kingdom. We live as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And the things of this earth, the hymn writer said, grow strangely dim in the light and the glory of his face. 
Well, what can you do when you take all this home today? Well, first of all, is your mind set to be willing to, be suffer, to suffer for the cause of Christ, for the name of Christ? Whatever that looks like. It can be a small thing in the eyes of some. It can be a big thing in the eyes of some. But in the eyes of God, are you ready and willing and have your mind set that I'm going to honor Christ? Because this has to be conscientious living. You don't come to this by accident. You come to this by feeding your will with faith. But the word of God, a well-fed faith creates the will to follow God. And we feed our, our faith with his word and with our fellowship, with prayer, with obedience to his commands. It feeds our faith. The more we know God, the more we trust him. Why could Jesus live on faith? Because he knew God intimately, right? He rose up a great time before dawn to go pray to him. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. And my food, he didn't have to eat food. His food was to do the will of God. He did have to eat food. But when the disciples said, hey, we got some food. And he said, my food's to do the will of God. And they thought he was fussing out for forgetting the food. He said, no, 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 no. You need to live for the will of God, not, not for the bread of man. And Jesus was able to do all that for our sake so that we could do it. Are you willing and living for your self-comfort or for the will of God? Are you living just to make your life easier? Or are you living for the will of God? Are you willing to give up everything to follow the will of God? And what would you say if you stood before God today in the next moment? What would you say to him in the next moment? And all of a sudden you realize there he is and I got to give an account. You ready for that? I don't know. Janice drove down to Georgia yesterday for her mom's birthday, which was yesterday. And she told me there was an 18-wheeler wrecked on I-95. No new, but she said it was crushed flat. I said, how does that happen? She goes, it's a really bad wreck. That's how it happens. Between here and home, who knows? I think there was a pastor here at a heart attack standing where I'm standing, maybe not in this spot, but in a spot, a pulpit, and died right here in front of everybody. So that can happen to me. Could happen to you. Could happen to all of us. What are you going to say to God? You, you may not get a warning that you need to get things right. Are you living right now? Peter, he figured it out. And he wanted to let us know, hey guys, I lived this. Here's how we do it. And I hope you take that home with you today.